Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria and decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and all the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Tromphemus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conveyed with them a long while until daybreak, and so, sorry, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. All right. Well, where we are in the book of Acts, and uh, by the way, kids, if you are here, you can go with, um, with Marcia. She is, um, she is available. Where we are in the book of Acts, we're at a bit of a, a transition period. We have just seen the Apostle Paul experience really three years of just really fruitful ministry, open doors, open travel lanes, the ability to travel, the ability to write, the ability to network with people. We've just experienced these three solid years of his, of his ministry. We talked about this, the tide of ministry coming in during this time. It was a period of growing influence. And maybe you've been part of a ministry season where you've seen the influence of the church grow and you've seen the tide come in. That was a season for Paul. But what we find is that this was also a season of growing productivity for the Apostle Paul. That in this passage that we're reading today, that we've seen him already write First and Second Corinthians. In this passage today, it, it gives a nod to him writing the book of Romans, a, a season of creativity and productivity for the Apostle Paul. But we're also noting that during this three-year period, which we made an argument for last week, that this was really the height of Paul's ministry, that this was also a period where Paul had made some enemies, some opponents. And what we're going to see at this point in the book of Acts is that he is heading back to Jerusalem. And as he's going back to Jerusalem, he's treating this as kind of a, a last tour, if you will. That this is a time in his life and ministry where he's talking to people as if this is going to be the last time he meets with them. Next week, we're going to look particularly at his message that he gives to the Ephesian elders, that people that he had spent three years ministering with. And this kind of farewell speech, this idea that they are not going to see his face again, as far as they know. 
And what we have is this really, this, this transition point in the book of Acts, the rest of the book of Acts is going to be, it's going to be um, imprisonment. Once he gets to Jerusalem, we're going to see Paul is going to be confined. Paul is not going to be free to travel. This is going to be, he's going to be with Roman soldiers. He's going to be on ship voyages, on ocean voyages, as well as shipwrecks. It's a different tone to the book of Acts from this point forward. And what we want to do this morning, what I want to do with this passage this morning, particularly about this particular story about Eutychus and this upper room story and the long-winded Paul, this is the one where you all get to say, yeah, you know, put the, put the railing on the balcony, Pastor Craig's coming. You know, the, the, as much as we like, so I want us to look at this story this morning and use it as an opportunity for us a story that gives us some images to reflect on. And so what I want to do really this morning is just make some observations about this story, but also to just take a moment to reflect on a few of the images in the story as we're at a transition point in the book of Acts. We're at a transition point in, our, in this pandemic. We're starting to reopen. We're starting to see things open up. Not everything is open, but we're, we're beginning to see that open up. We're at a point in our church, and churches all over the world really are at a point where 2020 was this year where everything kind of went down, went dormant. And we've seen God's faithfulness in this season, but as we rebegin, this is a time when lots of churches, including our own, as we begin to look at our ministry season, our upcoming ministry season, to ask questions about what does it look like to move forward, and where is God calling us, and we're in a season of reflection. You know, once we, um, just a little bit about the inner working, how the sausage is made here at Taft Avenue Community Church. Um, you know, you, you come and you, you, eat the, you eat the sausage, but not everybody wants to see how the sausage is made, right? All right, no, scratch that from second service, right? That, okay, all right. But um, when we change the budget year to a July to June budget year, we used to have a, a calendar year budget, but that meant that we had to pass a budget in December, and it's Christmas time, and nobody wants to get together, so we would never pass a budget on time. It would always be a month late, okay? That's how we, so we, we move that around, but what it's allowed us to do is it's allowed us to come out of the new year, and it allows us some time, we do some staff development in January and February. Um, we, and then when we hit, we hit February, March, we start in on personnel reviews and things like that, but it's also a time, like today we're going to have a, a ministry leadership meeting, and it'll be online, Google Meet, okay? We, we, we're using technology in this season. But we're starting in this season where we ask, okay, look, 2020 is 2020, but now we look ahead, and it's a chance now for us to reflect and evaluate what are we doing, what has gone right, what has gone wrong, what do we want to look like going forward, and that we have this opportunity in February and March every year now to take a step back and to take a good hard look at what we're doing and what we want to become. And we've built now, we've built this into the culture of our church. And I want us as well, whether you're a ministry leader or not, I want us to lean into this idea that we're in a season of preparation. We're in a season of preparation, not only, and I, I love that the, this idea of reflection that we've built in this idea of reflection in the months of like 
of February, March, leading into April, because that's typically the season that leads us into Easter, right? And the church has traditionally viewed the time, well, the 40 days before Easter, if you're on a liturgical calendar, I like the wind, the wind like punctuates every point that I'm making, so if it ever kicks up, you're like, the Lord is working. But we use this time, we can use this opportunity, these 40 days before Easter as a time of reflection on our own lives, where we can take some stock about where I've been, where I'm going, what I'd like to become, what God is doing in my life, but also in the life of our church, that we can use this as a season of reflection. So, so I'd like to look at this passage, make some observations, and then take some time this morning to offer really three questions from this passage, these images from this passage, that might lead us into asking some questions about where I'm at with the Lord, where we're at with the Lord, and with ministry at our church. You guys up for this? You might say yes, but I, they, they, these, are, these are challenging questions, and they challenged me, and I'll try to be as transparent as possible as we work through this. So, the story of Eutychus at Troas, look at verse 5. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. So, if you go back up in, in chapter 20, verse 5, it talks about Paul has, has been, really the beginning of chapter 20, deals with the last three months of this period of, of Paul's journey, this last journey. And as he, he's made so many enemies that he has to actually change his route home. He's planning on going, sailing from Corinth, but he realizes that there's a plot against him, and so he's got to travel by land and leave from another port. You, you imagine with the Apostle Paul, like, you don't want to, he's going to get on this boat with all these pilgrims going to Jerusalem, and not everybody loves the fact that he's preaching Jesus is the Messiah, and like, you can imagine his, his opponents like, hey, if we just get him on this boat, if we just get him on this boat, we can find an opportune time, and where'd he go? Like, you know, so he's like, nope, we're not doing that. And so we have this really convoluted story at this point, don't we? This very convoluted story where he's going to say, okay, I'm not going to get on a boat. I'm going to go by land. I'm going to go up to Philippi, and then I'm going to go to Troas, which we, we talked a little bit about, but all that to say, rather than show a map today, because it, the map kind of is counterintuitive to what I'm trying to do, especially when we're preaching about a sermon where Paul gets kind of lost in the weeds for a few hours, right? So I, I don't want to geek out too much today, okay? Because we, we want to keep people awake in about a sermon that someone falls asleep at. So he leaves, he leaves Philippi at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So he talks about, look at verse 6, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. What are, what's the Feast of Unleavened Bread as we understand it in Jewish life? That's the Passover. That's the Passover, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is Passover. What's coming in 40 days or 50 days is the Feast of Pentecost. It's 50 days. And Paul's plan is he wants to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost, and he leaves Philippi right after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He's got 50 days, and Luke is actually going to be like counting it down. As a matter of fact, it says it takes him five days to get to Troas, and then he's going to spend seven days there. So the first 12 days... He burns, he doesn't even go like 50 miles, but he needs to get there by Pentecost. 
Troas was a town where Paul, if you remember back in Acts chapter 16, do you guys remember this story, this sermon where in Acts chapter 16, Paul gets on a road and he's trying to figure out where to go and he tries to go west and it says that the Holy Spirit doesn't let him. You guys remember this? And then he tries to go east and north and what happens? The Holy Spirit closes that door and he just goes all the way to the coast and he ends up in this town, Troas. And that's where he has the vision of the man in Macedonia. Well, now he's come back to this city. And he's, there's, a, there's a group of believers there, so he didn't waste time. He actually preached the gospel while he was there. But we're in Troas. And it says in verse 7, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. So Paul is with them all week long. And the last night, as you might experience when you visit good friends, You've got a lot to say. You've got a lot to talk about. And time is short. And so Paul gets into, they, they're gathered and it says they're gathered to break bread. And maybe this implies that they're gathered on this first day of the week. Maybe this is a Saturday night moving into Sunday if you're Jewish. Or maybe this is a Sunday night moving into Monday morning. It's hard to say, but what's happening is they've gathered together to have a communal meal together as the followers of Jesus. And again, this is probably, the Lord's Supper is probably part of this. So they get together, and, they're way, and, pro, and we don't know exactly what the deal is, but it, it, the implication here is that they've gathered together to eat a meal. Paul is going to speak, and Paul just keeps going. It's like if I just went right through lunchtime, right? And you're like, uh, I don't know when the service is supposed to end, but my stomach said it was supposed to end a while ago, okay? So whatever it is, Paul has gone overtime, okay? He's gone overtime. And we don't know if they've already eaten or if they're waiting to eat, but whatever's happened, Paul had not finished his sermon. In verse 8, it says this. Well, he prolongs his speech until midnight. In verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And what we're going to find out is this incident, this Eutychus incident, where he falls out of a window, it, it, it really is, uh, it, it's brought on by a number of issues. Um, obviously, Paul's long-windedness is one, but Luke goes to, uh, he makes the point that there's lots of lamps in the room, and the point about this is oil lamps in the ancient world were well known at, to um, causing drowsiness, especially if you're in an upper room. They're in the third floor, the third story, and it, it's warm, they're in a room. It's not well ventilated. It's not like they've got double-paned windows. They can just open up. These are, these are slits in the wall, essentially. And you have all these oil lamps going. It's late at night. The room is stuffy. It's warm. It's hot. And so these are the sorts of things that lead to what is about to happen. It says in verse 9, a young man named Eutychus. And this name Eutychus, we, we don't, it doesn't say a lot about this young man, but the name Eutychus, does anyone know, does there a footnote in anybody's Bible about what the name Eutychus means? What's that? Lucky. It means good fortune or lucky. We actually have a, a friend of ours, um, of our son, who um, plays on his basketball team. His name is actually Lucky. His name is Luxion, but they call him Lucky. But Lucky is the guy, is, is his name, which probably means that Eutychus is a slave. Not many free people have these kind of nicknames, so to speak. 
Eutychus is probably a young man, a, a slave in someone's household. He's probably spent the day working hard. He's come to this communal meal. The Apostle Paul's in town. I want to stay awake, but a number of things work against him. It's, so he, because he wants to stay awake, what does he do? What do you do if you want to stay awake in a stuffy room? You go and you sit by the window. That's where the fresh air is. And so he does that. And he sits near a window where there's fresh air. But what we find, and what, what Luke says, is that it literally says that he falls into a deep sleep. He falls into a deep sleep. And I don't know if you've been in a deep sleep before and you kind of wake yourself up. It, whatever happened, he wakes himself up or he falls over or whatever it is and he falls out the window. And he goes, it says in verse, in verse 9, he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. So Paul is going on and on. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. The third story, people, there's some questions about how, fall, how far he fell, whether this is a second story, the third level, depending on how you count levels in our country or in other countries. But he is taken up, and it says that he is either presumed dead or that he is taken up dead. The text goes on to say that Paul went down and bent over him, taking him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed, for life is in him. And what it literally says is that he goes and he falls on him. I don't know if he actually like falls on him, but the idea is that he lays on him. And the reason why likely that this is the case is that we read in the Old Testament there are other prophets that raise people from the dead by laying on top of them, like Elijah and Elisha. Peter does something, though he doesn't lay on top of Tabitha, he, lay, he lays down beside her bed and prays for her to be raised in Acts chapter 9. We see Jesus doing something like this in the Gospels. So he goes and he lays on top of the young man, he takes him up into his arms, and he says there's life in him. Now, we don't know if he's just saying, okay, uh, he's, not, he's not really dead, he's only mostly dead, he, or that he actually is dead and that there's the power, as he lays on him, he prays the power of God and that the work of the Spirit it, through Paul is to raise him from the dead. After he realizes or he, uh, that, that there is life in him, Paul goes up and then he breaks bread to eat. I guess the sermon's over at that point. That really will punctuate the sermon. I guess that's a good, we won't do that as an application point today. Um, but the idea is that then they go up, they break bread, and they, they talk all the rest of the night. And then the next morning, the ship that he's going to leave on is leaving at dawn. He sticks around, makes sure Eutychus is all right. He says, they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. And so that's the story. That's the story. That's a little bit of the background, a little bit of what's going on and why this Eutychus story is here. The Eutychus story is actually a little bit, as you might imagine, as, as we saw a little bit last, the last couple weeks, is there's some comic relief in here. Like if it was, obviously if, if Eutychus was not raised from the dead, I don't know if this would have made the Bible. Like, there are actually other stories in the ancient world of slaves leaning over uh, windows, falling out, and, and dying. There's actually stories that you can find in, like, Oxyrhynchus papyri tell stories like this of slaves that, that die trying to get a good look at something. 
But this story, as much as it offers comic relief, it, it again demonstrates the power of God and Paul being used in it as an instrument of God, like Elijah, Elisha, and Peter. And I wanted to come to this story particularly today in our series, in a series that's been filled with maps and background and me geeking out and you guys going on the journey with me a little bit, and that's great, but I wanted to pause a little bit at this story. And though we give a little bit of background and we tell this story and we make some observations about it, we are in a season of reflection here at Taft Avenue. Like I said before, this is a season, a yearly time when we reflect on our ministries, what we've done in the past year, what we want to do in the upcoming year as we think about allocating our our assets toward ministry, toward what we're doing. How can we be most strategic? We can only be strategic if we take time And we take a good, hard look at where we're at as individuals, as various ministries, but also as a church as a whole. And this is something that I believe that healthy churches bake into the rhythm of their year. That healthy churches look, take time to evaluate. One of the first things we did when I came on here was we started having a worship planning meeting on Wednesdays. And one of the first things that we do every week is we, we have this idea that like you, you look back at the last week and you evaluate the last week and then you look ahead to the next week and what we're trying to do. And the idea is like you're driving a car, small rearview mirror, big windshield, right? You want to take a little bit of a look back, but you really want to look forward. But if you don't look back, if your car doesn't have a rearview mirror and you have no way of looking back, then you don't know, you might run over a bunch of people, right? So evaluating is absolutely necessary for a healthy life in Christ, for a vibrant church and a vibrant community. There needs to be a look back. It's not, the windshield is not in the rearview mirror, right? We don't look back at the history of our church as that's the way forward. No, that's the rearview mirror, but we have a windshield that we want to take a good long look at, but in order to do this, we enter into seasons of reflection. And I wanted to use this story and some of the images that it presents to just give us a little bit of a, 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 a jumping off point into some points of reflection in our own lives, as well as the corporate life of our church and the ministry of our church. Are you guys ready for this? I'm just, I just want to offer a few things. So and I'm going to take a couple of liberties with, with the story a little bit just to get the images. So bear with me with this. Um, and I suppose, I suppose the point, one of the points that I want to make about reflection is um, Easter is coming, but Good Friday always precedes Easter. Death always precedes resurrection. And death comes because of our own fallenness. And the church has used this season as an opportunity to reflect on what has brought us really to Good Friday. And so, I don't know if you've been following along in in Lent, if you want to call it Lent, or Biola University has a Lent project, and every week when we've been sending out our weekly um, updates here at Taft Avenue, I give you a link to the Lent project. They're really good each week. They offer a, a passage, they offer a reflection, they offer a piece of art as well as music. It's a great way to, to kind of ground yourself during the season and to help to reflect. 
So there's three images that I want to give us from this passage that I want to use to, to reflect and to do, some, do our own little uh, evaluation and my own personal evaluation. And these are the three images. The first image is a person going on and on, unaware that their message is not hitting the mark. The Apostle Paul in this passage, it, Luke goes to, goes to great, he mentions twice that, Luke, that, that, that Paul is going on and on. Now, Paul has, I don't know what he's talking about, okay? And it could be the greatest thing in the world. It could be, you know, whatever it is. And, and Paul did, to be fair, he just left Corinth where he just wrote the book of Romans. So if we put things together, maybe, I mean, maybe this is like a full-on book of Romans exposition until midnight, whatever it is. But whatever's happening, Paul loses his audience. He certainly uses, loses Eutychus right? And so the first image, and again, I don't, I don't want to pile on the Apostle Paul. I'm not even saying that what he's saying is wrong, but I do like this image in our minds, this image of, uh, of the person going on and on that their message is not hitting the mark. That's our first image. We'll talk about it in a second. The second thing is the person who started attentive, but has fallen asleep. That's Eutychus. The person who started out attentive, but has fallen asleep. And again, I don't want to put this on Eutychus. These are just images that I want us to use to reflect. And then the final image is one of a deadly fall that necessitates resurrection. A deadly fall that necessitates the power of God to move. And I want us to consider these three images through the lens of our purpose statement, love God and love others. And so I want us to ask the question, if love God and love others is our, is our aspirational point. Now, sometimes we live into that, right? Sometimes we live into it, and we're like, yeah, love God and love others. And sometimes that's aspirational for us, right? Like, I'm not doing very well at loving God, and I aspire to that. Or I'm not doing as well as I had hoped at loving others, and I aspire to it. Okay, so it's, it, it's a purpose statement, and it's true of us, but it's also aspirational to us. And I'd like us to really look at these three images in light of our love God, love others posture, okay? So, hey, so hang with me. I know that I'm getting, I, I promise I'll get to the point. Okay, so here we go. Here's our first image. I want you to have this image in your mind. If I say, imagine a person going on and on, unaware that they've lost their audience, and you're like, I don't have to imagine that. I see that every week, Pastor Craig. I'm just kidding. I'm, no, I'm just kidding, okay? But whatever, that, whatever image that comes up to you, whatever, whatever that, maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a public speaker, maybe it's a politician, maybe it is a pastor who is just going on and on and on, and the audience has just glazed over. That's the first image that I want you to, to have in your mind. It's the image that every preacher fears, if they're paying attention. Every professor, every public speaker, and preaching on this passage, I mean, again, the railing on the balcony, we can make the jokes, um, but, or, or even like someone going on and on to an empty room, like that was, that was 2020 for me, okay? So all that to say, this is the image that I want you to have in your mind. Okay, now for me, I'll give you, I'll give you a little sense of where I realized this image in my own life in a season of my own life to be true. The year, it was, it was the year 2011, the fall of 2011. 
I was finishing my doctoral dissertation, okay? It's 110,000 words that about five people in the world are going to read, okay? Okay, it's just, it's an endless black hole of footnotes and technical writing that nobody wants to read. The dissertation is a real conversation killer, okay? So, but I had been spent, I had spent three years of my life working on this. And the fall of 2011, there was, there was a deadline in December in order to graduate. I had to hit this deadline in December. And what that meant was that there, was, there were weeks on end in the fall where I would get up before anybody else got up in the house. And then I would come home after all the kids were in bed. Because I was just pounding, pounding, pounding on this dissertation. Greco, Jewish and Greco-Roman laws and attitudes about the giving and of, receiving of inheritances in the first century A.D., Thank you very much. I'll take questions afterward. Okay. Okay. You, now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It was an extremely productive time. When I would get up that early and I would come home late, I, I would pound out work. Super productive. And I would find myself, I don't know if you guys have found yourself, when you do something that sometimes you get lost in it, and like, next thing you know, you're like, oh my gosh, would you, would you look at the time? I, it's two o'clock and I was supposed to eat lunch like two hours ago. Like, you, you get into this zone. And the only thing that really matters is what you're looking at in front of your face. Siri is interpreting my sermon. It's like I'm speaking in tongues and Siri is interpreting. Thank you very much. Um, all this to say, I would get home, I would get home late and... Um, in all honesty, I would, to be quite honest, um, I enjoyed the quiet, the solitude, the productivity. I don't know if you're like that, okay? I, I enjoyed that time. One day, I came home. Kelly had gone to Costco that day with the kids. And if you've gone to the Costco in the district, the Tustin district, right across the street, there's like, it's like a residence inn or some kind of executive hotel or something like that. And as they were driving by, our second oldest, Eli, asked Kelly, is that where dad's sleeping? I had become distracted. My attention had been stolen by something else. I felt called to do the PhD to write the dissertation. I'm glad it's there, but it stole my attention for a season. That I wasn't the dad I was supposed to be. I wasn't the husband I was supposed to be. I, I, my, my, my duties as a pastor fell off. I was doing great productivity, but there were things that I was distracted toward. And as I think about the Apostle Paul, and as I think about this image of the speaker that is so enwrapped in their own material, but the rest of the audience has glazed over. This is my question for us for reflection. Do you have a focus of attention that seems important and interesting to you, but in the end has not yielded the fruit that you want it to yield? Or to ask the question to God, and the question that I would urge you to ask this morning, is God, is there a thing right now in my life or in our life corporately 
that has stolen our attention or that has stolen my attention from the things that matter? Is there a place in your life or in the life of the church that has demanded a lot of attention but has not produced the sort of fruit that you had hoped? And again, when we, when we gather at the beginning of our service, we pray and we pray that God, that God's Holy Spirit would come and be present in this room and reveal things in our heart. We take that seriously. And as I stand here today, for myself, I ask the Lord the same things. Are the things that I have my attention on, are they the things that, God, you want to produce fruit with? Because we can get lost in the weeds Focusing our attention on minutiae like a speaker speaking with all their heart to a group of people who is no longer listening. As a church, do we have anything like that as we look at our community? Things that have, we've focused our attention on, but the community has stopped listening. And again, if there is something like that, just with that, just to jot it down in your notes. Jot it down. Mark, make a little mark, maybe on your phone, on your notes or whatever. Just to make a little, uh, a little note to yourself. Is there anything, God, is there anything that has stolen my attention? Have I become a speaker who's just speaking to people who aren't listening? All right, so that's the first question. Second question is this. And it has to do, um, Paul's not the only image in our story. I don't want to pile on Paul here. Um, but I do appreciate that Paul had these issues as well. Um, but Eutychus, Eutychus is our other image. Eutychus is the image of one who was listening at one time, but has lost focus. Eutychus was listening, he started listening, but he has lost his focus. It's not that he's been enamored by a certain focus, that's Paul. Eutychus is the one who has lost his focus. Eutychus is listening to the guy who wrote Romans and is falling asleep to the things that matter. He sank into a deep sleep. And I think it, we owe it to ourselves at least once a year to ask ourselves the question, have I fallen asleep to something important? Have I fallen asleep to something that is important? For me, again, it, it's, it's time for a good self-report. I don't, you know, sometimes I, I, need, I need to get things off my chest and I need you guys to know things, but sometimes it's just a self-report. Here's my self-report today. I can sleep pretty much anywhere, okay? Pretty much, and on Sunday afternoons, it, all bets are off. I could just be, I could go down at the drop of a hat, at just a word, I'm down, okay? And I've always really, as a, as a child, I could always fall asleep anywhere. Um, here's the thing, though. As I've gotten older and as I've gotten a little more man size, um, I snore. I snore when I sleep. When, you, when I sink into a deep sleep, I snore. I don't, I, I, and the only reason I know this, do you know the only reason why anyone knows that they snore? It's because of somebody else telling you that. Now, here's the thing about falling asleep to something important in your life. Sometimes you can't see it, but other people hear you snoring. 
That sometimes, like, like all, all, you know, and this is the way it works. Like I'll, I'll kind of nod off somewhere and, and when I wake up, everybody's looking at me because I'm like, hey, what, what's going on? What just happened? Like I'm, I've been awake this whole time, right? And they're like, no, you were snoring and we all heard it. It's going to be a little embarrassing. I'll just tell you that a little bit, okay? So I don't know if anybody else out there snores. Grace on you, grace to you and grace to the people who love you, Okay? But I would say this, falling asleep is oftentimes more apparent to the people around us than it is to ourselves. And so my question to myself and to you is, have I or has the church lost its focus in any way? Have we fallen asleep? Have I fallen asleep? to anything? Am I asleep? Where are we asleep? And the question to ask God is, God, is there a place where I have sunk into a deep sleep? Or to put it corporately for us as a body or for different ministries, to ask the question, God, is there somewhere that we have sunk into a deep sleep? Again, I don't, Paul and Eutychus like, it's a great story, it's, and I don't want to, I, I think Eutychus wanted to stay awake. I'm not down on Eutychus, I'm not down on Paul, but these images, I think, are images that move us into reflection. Is there something that has captured my, has stolen my focus, and is there something, have I fallen into a deep sleep in anywhere in my life that matters, that's important? And the last image, the third image that I want to put before us as we reflect. And again, if you, if you have answers to these questions, jot them down. Put them in your notes. Something, whatever you have in order to make a note to yourself. Is something, has something stolen my attention? Have I fallen asleep in an area? Because I would imagine, like you, like you like myself, when I ask these questions, there are places where immediately in my own mind, my mind might go to. And I have to imagine that the Holy Spirit is involved in this because we asked the Holy Spirit to be here this morning. We've asked the Spirit to to work in God's Word. We've had multiple people, our elders pray, our ministry leaders pray. You guys probably pray that the Holy Spirit works in here. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to ask, we're reflecting and we're imagining, not just imagining, but we're counting on the idea that the Holy Spirit is here present to help us to move us in a direction, and again, using love God and love others to ask the question, love God, love others, has something taken my focus away? Love God, love others, have I fallen asleep to something? Using that rubric, using that that posture, that aspirational posture. And again, it's not a point, it's not a point of just getting guilt. That's not, the point of the Holy Spirit is not to, to give you guilt and shame and say, you better get this straight before you come to God. The Holy Spirit says, no, this, we know, we already know you've fallen asleep. We know that you've already fallen to death. This third image of a death fall that calls for resurrection. Is there a place in your life that you are longing for resuscitation? That you are longing for a fresh breath? That you're longing for that wind that's out there to come and rush through your soul? 
just to give you a freshness that you want Jesus to lay on top of you and breathe life into you and to take you into his arms and say, there is still life. Is there some place like that in your life that you are longing for God to move? Because I got news for you. If you're longing, the reason that longing is there is the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. We pray for it every morning. Is there something dead that needs an outpouring of God's powerful spirit? And the question that I would ask all of us to pray is, God, is there a place where you are calling me to ask you to pour out your spirit in the power of your resurrection? Is there a place where, God, you are calling us to pray that you would breathe new life into something. In our sermon discussion questions in the, our Taft Avenue family room that meets on Tuesday nights, we, we go through these questions, and one of the questions was, is there a place that you feel like God is calling you to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And that question has stuck with me all week long. Because I'm like, I want God's Spirit to be poured out. Like, I, I can think generally, I can think globally, I can think umbrella, I can think nationally. But it's harder to think specifically, locally, individually, or even in my own life, like this one little area. I just want your spirit to pour out there. And I got news for you. When we get specific like that, now we're talking about the spirit moving in your life. It's not globally. It's not, it's not even nationally. It's not even statewide. Forget about politics where do you see, as you drive home, where do you want the Holy Spirit poured out along the way on your drive home? That's what we're talking about. What is dead that needs to come to life in you, in our community, in our church? So I appreciate that you gave me a little bit of room to use this story, but I, I think that this story has something for us. It has these images. And I'm going to call the worship team to come on up. And as we sing this last song, I, I just want to encourage you to think about, again, these three questions. God, is there anything that has stolen my attention? God, is there a place where I have sunk into deep sleep? And God, is there a place where you're calling me to ask for you to pour out the power of your Spirit? And I just want to give us, I want to give us a, a couple seconds before I pray, just to, just to, the silence, so the Spirit, so you can listen to the Spirit and ask those questions. I'm going to ask them again as we pray. Let's bow in prayer. And again, if you can write these, or just jot something down, or just pay attention, listen. God, is there anything that has stolen my attention? Or is there anything that has stolen our attention as a church? God, is there a place where I have sunk into a deep sleep?
Or to put it another way, God, is there anywhere that we have fallen into a deep sleep? And God, is there a place where you are calling me to ask for you to pour out the power of your Holy Spirit? A specific place, a specific person, a specific area, a specific address, a specific location where you're calling me to ask that you would pour out the power of your Spirit. Father, we come today because you promise that you're here, you're with us. You tell us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, you died for us. And we come because we are aware that you have sent your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit works in our lives, reveals things that are we do not yet know. And so we ask, Father, that you would reveal the things that we do not yet know about ourselves, about our church, and we pray that you would move us in this season in the right direction, a path forward as we think about coming out of this pandemic and into fruitful ministry in our city. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name.